And don't you black people ever forget one thing. The man that helped Jesus carry that cross was a black man. Never forget another thing. Jesus belongs to Africa as much as he does to Europe and Asia. He was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. And Jesus was not a white man like me, nor was he as black as some of you. We don't know what the color of his skin, but it must have been a dark color like the people of his day because he was a man like them. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. He belongs to the world. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Cause my best days would be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Caron, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What is up, people? If you've been with us so far, uh, buckle up, because it's not getting any better. So this season is, uh, we're just moving right along into, into the weeds, into the landmines, and we're ready for it. And just to give you a peek behind the curtain... Me and Eric have been trying to record this episode for 49 minutes at this point and have had technical difficulties. So we're a little testy. So I don't know where that's going to go for this episode, but. Well, I know if, if you, if you've been involved in this kind of church history before, you've probably heard this, some well-meaning, like faithful little old lady would say, well, God must be up to something good because Satan definitely doesn't want this podcast to be recorded. So, you know, take that for what it is. Either that or two white guys in their 30s probably shouldn't be talking about racism. Yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one it is. But yeah. for those of you who are new with us, we'll give you the same disclaimer we've given every episode this season. This season is not about trying to convince you to vote a certain way or telling you why you should vote for one party over the other. And it's not about shaming you into feeling guilty about who you voted for in the past or who you plan to vote for in the future. What we are about, though, is looking at how some topics have been co-opted by politicians who have used the church for political gain, or about showing how there are issues Christians must care about while acknowledging that we have liberty to come to different conclusions about how to best fix those issues. And it's about reframing the role of politics within our Christian worldview. And today we're going to talk about a boogeyman, and that is racism. You knew that from the second you opened this episode. But because this has been co-opted in a few different ways, I want to start off with a couple like episode-specific definitions because I think that's really important for us. The first one I want to acknowledge, not everything on the topic of race and racism is critical race theory or CRT. Mm-hmm. We could do an entire episode on CRT, but to address the elephant in the room, let me just point out that there are a lot of things wrong with critical race theory. And there are also some things within CRT that help us understand things in the world and how the the past has happened and how it impacts today. So as with most things in life, it's not black or white and there's no pun intended right. there, which was really bad. Um, and we'll get into this later in the episode, but not everything race related is blatant racism either. 
that's kind of been co-opted in our culture that anything race related is absolute racism. So that's not the case. There's a spectrum of race related issues. And then the other thing I want to point out before we get into this is we're not going to get into a ton of policy on this episode. Our show is about unlearning the things that we were taught in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, figure out where the heck we go. So a lot of people listening to this are still unlearning the things we were taught as kids. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we're not quite ready to move into what the policy should be moving forward. So today is about raising awareness and unlearning more so than advocating for specific things moving forward. We'll get into that in future episodes probably, but today we just want to talk about some of the history and just bring awareness to that so that you can be aware moving forward and hopefully have your opinion more open to things as we go forward. Yeah. And especially when it comes to racism and, and honestly, all these topics we're covering this season, you could probably do an entire season, like you said, on just the topics and breaking them down. So it's impossible for us to cover every nuance of this issue. So I think we've, we've tried to boil it down to two main ones um, that were, that were prevalent in uh, you know, Christianity in the church growing up and the things that are kind of continued on today. And another disclaimer that I just want to add is like, I think for a lot of us, especially white men, you know, or, or white women too, when it comes to this, we start to acknowledge these things where it's like, we did something wrong. We said something wrong. We acknowledge it's wrong or other people have taught us, but there are well-meaning people that didn't know better. And now this is one of the things that we're trying to do is like help you understand. And now that you know better, you've got to do better. Yeah. There's no shame involved in this. It's uh, we're all learning and unlearning things together. Like Eric said, today, we're going to focus on two main things. There are a thousand different ways we could take this conversation and we just chose to focus on two things today. Those two things are colorblindness and the whitewashing of the Bible. Colorblindness, Eric, tell me if you were taught this because you grew up in a different part of the area of the country than I did. Colorblindness basically said that we are all part of the human race, so we should focus on our similarities and ignore the color of people's skin. Basically, I don't see color. I just see people. Yeah, that that is interesting because I did grow up. Um, my childhood was in a majority minority school, majority minority state, um, those sorts of things. So it was a little different. And there was a, a, a very stark contrast when I started to go into the denominational churches, United Methodist Church, small town United Methodist Church with just white people, you know, in in suburban Ohio. And I did hear it a lot more when I was around other white people, white people tend to say, I don't see color or white people tend to say, you know, something about the, the, the color blindness type of thing. And so I didn't see that as much. Um, there wasn't as much of an adamant, like I have to make sure that I, I let everybody know that, Oh no, no, I'm not worried about color type of deal. Um, I didn't see that as much in, in the mixed race, mixed ethnicity, uh, childhood that I had. It was much more prevalent with, with white people. And we'll get into the, the good and the bad of that here in a minute. But the other idea we're going to talk about today is the whitewashing of the Bible. And this is mm -hmm. one that I have been on a little bit of a journey myself to learn. There's a great book by Jerome Gay Jr. called The Whitewashing of Christianity. And I'm going to reference a lot of his stuff. This I want to give him credit for that. But the idea of whitewashing might be new to you, and it might evoke a strong response when you first hear it. So let me go ahead and 
and get some definitions out there so we can all be playing on a level level and playing whitewashing field. is another thing like crt like you know black lives matter there's a lot of words or racism when you hear it you immediately so i want to like speak out to fellow whites that are listening here like when you hear these words try not to bristle like take a deep breath and let's let's get these these you know uh, these definitions that we're going to work with. So that way we can actually learn something instead of putting our defenses up right away. And like we said in other episodes, the whole ball golf thing, like imagine you're sitting there with your palms up unless you're driving. Cause I don't want you to die, but palms <laughs> up so you can receive instead of fist clenched, ready to fight back. So that's the, that's the approach we're taking in this as well. But the Cambridge dictionary defines whitewashing as an attempt to stop people from finding out the truth about a situation, essentially hiding facts in order to control or even change a narrative. Yep. And I would guess most of the people who are listening to this grew up in a white evangelical church. Our pastors and our theologians most often point to people of European church history and the European church fathers. And they, I don't think it's, it's, purposeful, but they ignore the church in Africa, which came decades before that in Europe. And I think there's there's even a whitewashing within that because it's not all Europeans, because if you look at the history of the evangelical church, um, there was like Irish were not considered European. You know, they weren't white because yes. they were Catholic. Uh, your Italians weren't white because they were Catholic. You know, so there's this this bit of like it was very Anglo-Saxon type of viewpoint of European history. Uh, so there was even whitewashing within what was considered European. And the interesting thing is that Luther, which a lot of this goes back to Luther, he's kind of propped up so high. He was obsessed with the, with the Ethiopian church. He wanted to learn more and more about them. But yet, for some reason, once it got past him, we we stopped looking back to where he looked to. We just look back at Luther and uh, many of his contemporaries. So that's, sure. that's one of the ways. A secondary definition of whitewashing from Cambridge is using white people to represent people of color in film or history. Mm. And this is one that is super subtle. And you may not even realize it happened, but think back. You've probably seen pictures or even seen the movie of Charleston Heston playing Moses in the Ten Commandments. Yep. So, but let's take that a step further too, because who played the Pharaoh in that movie or who played the Pharaoh in that movie? Do you remember? I don't. His name is Yul Brenner. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's Egyptian. You know, he's playing an Egyptian character, which is African. And yet the actor is Russian. Yeah. So not only the, de the depiction of, you know, we would say the bad guys in that story, but not even the depiction of like clearly African people is still presented as a Eastern European White people. Yep. Yeah. Other examples of this would be think back to the, the coloring books we had in the pre-K elementary aged Sunday school classes. A lot of those, the Bible characters had strong European characteristics instead of African and Middle Eastern traits. Again, it's subtlety. Think of the picture of Jesus that was likely hung up somewhere in your church. It yep. was a white Jesus who looked like Joel Houston from Hillsong United and not a brown skinned Middle Eastern. Yeah, he had a he had a nice perm going on and and uh, a lot of times blue eyes too. He had a perm or long flowing brown hair that I was always jealous of because I could never grow my hair out like that. But that's a different conversation. So it was always Warner Solomon's version that I saw that head of Christ, you know, light skin, light hair, 1940s. He's looking like up and to the right, but very 
obviously white guy. That's that's who I would see in every church or when somebody says Jesus, that's the one that you that in my mind that was like I still picture most, it. Yeah, that was the most popular depiction for me going back for it. Jerome Gay sums it up by saying whitewashed Christianity refers to the affinity of white Christian scholars to dominate the Bible, Christian art, literature, and history with white people at the expense of authentic ethnicity and true scholarship in order to resonate most deeply with white audiences, primarily based on their experiences, presuppositions, and worldviews. Yeah. And growing up in church too, you know, we would play clips. I remember, especially when I, when I started going to, uh, uh, more of the contemporary services and third day came out with their, uh, with their song thief. And so that was like, I am a thief, you know, that one, like it's always every, a good day when Eric sings. every Easter we would have, I am a murderer. you know what I mean? And then it would like be set to the background of Jesus of Nazareth, that movie from, I don't know, the 1970s. I have no idea, but uh, Robert Powell played Jesus and he was a British actor. English, straight up English. And so like, it's even more ingrained in film that, that, you know, you have paintings of Jesus as white movies of Jesus as white. And, you know, and it's just, it's, that's who you grow up with. Coincidentally, I, I see well, the guy who he, played Jesus in passion of the Christ is a guy named Jim. Well, yeah. I mean, Jim Caviezel, <laughs> he's, he's at least somewhat, you know, he was born in Mount Vernon, Washington. <laughs> The, the Jesus of Nazareth, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but he had the millennial middle part, I mean, the, the Gen Z middle part. Like, if you look at the the video, the movie of him, he just got that part in the middle of his head. So, you know, Jesus, Jesus was rocking the middle part before it was cool. This is a total sidetrack, but I just looked up IMDb to get that guy's name. They are currently filming a, the Passion of Christ Resurrection set to come out in 2024. How many? Yeah, but you know what I want to know is like, what are some other sequels that have resurrection in their name? <laughs> I, I'm serious. I got to look it up. I know this. Is, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to edit this out. But what is it? Was it uh, Transformers? Probably. Oh, could you just imagine like Jesus coming out and just be <laughs> just action star? <laughs> I'm back from the dead, suckers! Boom, boom, boom. Jesus is back and he's bringing old Testament vengeance out of the grave and into your hearts. Uh, I'm here to save your soul and kick Satan's ass. That probably won't go in there, but that's right. <laughs> Jesus resurrection starring Sigourney Weaver as Mary Magdalene. You know, <laughs> all right. I can't believe you brought that up. You got me totally, you got me totally on tilt now. Okay. We'll get back to that conversation in just a second. Hey, Jonathan, do you remember the number one way to impress your youth group camp crush other than stacking chairs? I do not. It's showing off your prowess on the dodgeball court. Seriously, yes. there was no better way to show your Proverbs 31 woman that you had the strength of Samson than whipping a foam ball around at about 35 miles per hour. Now you too can relive the glory with your very own Unlearning Youth Group Dodgeball Champion t-shirt in our merch store. Check it out at unlearningyouthgroup.com today. Now, back to the conversation. If you're new with us, we do the same format every single week. We introduce a topic like we just did. 
we talk about what was bad and where we went wrong within that topic. And then we do, we try to honestly find the good, what were the good intentions before looking at where we go from here. So Eric, we've talked about colorblindness. We've talked about whitewashing Christianity. As a guy who did grow up in a minority school, minority majority school, what was wrong with colorblindness? Where did, like, what was the bad about that? Uh, Okay. So the bad part, I mean, there's a tons of things that are bad, but uh, specifically what you don't realize is when you are trying to be colorblind and you don't see color, you are not seeing uh, the individual things that make people of color, that make people of different ethnicities special. And so there is a, a bit of a homogenizing approach where you just assume everyone is like you, when in reality, that's not the case. There are people that, I mean, they, they have individual strengths and skills and all that other thing. So like you're disregarding that culture that people are proudly identifying as. And so like, again, growing up in, you know, in the Southwest where uh, Hispanic and indigenous people, and it happens too with indigenous people where it's like, Everyone who identifies as an indigenous person is the same when in reality, there are so many different tribes represented within that that have very different cultures and backgrounds. Same thing with if you say, hey, well, everyone, everyone like this is the thing as soon as you move out of like the Southwest is like everyone of Hispanic or Latin American descent, they're all Mexican. And it's just like when everyone black is African-American. Right. Yeah, exactly. Everybody who's dark skinned is African-American. That's it. And you ignore these intricate cultures. Like if you look at the size of Africa alone, you know, you look at how big it's not it just is. one country. It's a continent. Yeah. First of all, it's a continent. But that continent is huge. If Our projections don't really do it justice. But if you put North America over Africa, if you put you know China over, you just see how small these big other continents are compared to Africa. It's gigantic. So when we refuse to see color, we are actively choosing to disregard those cultures and those characteristics that make those people special and make them unique. And the other thing is it's ignoring the marginalization that's historically happened. So it's it's a it's a defense mechanism. If I'm honest, if I'm talking about, you know, the well-meaning white people, uh, we say we don't see color because mostly we want to ignore the fact that there's been marginalization and we want to move on. We want to step away from the pain. We want to ignore that there's been discrimination because of color. So when we say we don't see color, we're disregarding the pain that historically those people have felt because of the color of their skin. The other thing we do is by saying we don't see color as white people, we are the dominant race Mm -hmm. because we are the majority race. I don't say that in a white supremacist way. It's just we dictate culture because there's more of us in, in power than any other race. And so by saying we don't see color, we are implicitly saying that we expect you to adapt to our culture because we don't see yours. Yes. And that is, it's unloving. It's rude. It's all sorts of things that are not in line with what God calls us to be and the fruit of the spirit that should be active and present within us. So Mm -hmm. when we refuse to see color, we actively choose to disregard the culture and the characteristics of the group of people that make them unique. They are proudly that culture, right? Whether it's Dominican, whether it's African-American, whether it's one of the many shades of melanin that they have, 
wherever mm. their family history and cultural history comes from, they are proud of that. And by saying we don't see color, we effectively just negate that entire culture. Yeah. And I think it's, it's easy for us as white people, for most white people, because uh, uh, and I don't want to overgeneralize here, but you know, if you, if you're like me and you're just like a white mutt, like I've just got a number of different whiteness in the background. I've never done my 23 and me, but it's like, I don't, ide- my last name is Williams. I'm Eric Williams. There's nothing ethnocentric about that outside of like standard wonder bread white. And so there's, you know, it's easy for someone like me to be like, oh, yeah, you know, cool. I'm just a white American or whatever, because I don't identify with a strong heritage from, you know, a a country from Italy or from Germany or from France or anything else like that. So it's it's a lot easier for us who are of that type to just assume that's how everybody is because we don't have a you know, a, a distinct proud heritage, but I would ask, and maybe, the, maybe this is true for you. Maybe it's not J- Jonathan, but like, would you say that you're, you're proudly from the South, ignoring some of the problematic sides of that, but you're like, you're a Southern guy. I'm definitely Southern. Like I am yeah. not Southwest. I am not Northeast. Like I'm a Southern kid from a redneck town. And yeah. That's and that, who and I, I mean, am. and rural, you know, suburban, but I would say probably you're, you'd more identify with rural, you know what I mean? And so there's rural values, there's Southern values. There's probably even, you know, some of that Baptist evangelical values that you would go culturally, if we were to say culturally, you're proud of that. And let me take it one step further. Carone. It's an Italian name. mm -hmm. My great grandfather and great grandmother came off the boat from Italy in 1917 and 1918. So like I can trace a hundred years ago, my family back to Palermo, Sicily, Italy. Yep. And I'm proudly Italian when Italy plays in the world cup. If they're not playing the U S I generally go for them because I know my family comes from Italy. They just happen to be white, but sure. for someone whose family comes from Nigeria, or South Africa or Egypt. If we say we don't recognize their color, then we are in essence saying that we don't recognize where their family comes from. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a, like you said, it's almost like another forced subjugation because as soon as you start to talk about your own um, color and we're just using color because we're saying color blindness. So of course there's other things that go into that ethnicity and culture and everything like that. But like, if we don't acknowledge those, those color cultural differences, then you're saying you're forcing that subjugation into that, you know, plain, you know, um, uh, what, what would we call it? Like the, the, the mono mono culture, there's this mono culture that you have to be subjugated into. We consider it a melting pot in America, but we forget all of the ingredients that go into the melting pot. We're not trying to make it uh, into something else. We're allowing those ingredients to impact and affect what the overall, you know, pot is going to be like. And like we said at the beginning, we could stay on all of these different issues for entire episodes, but we do want to move forward. And the other bad thing we talked about is whitewashing Christianity and the bad about that. I think the biggest thing with that that I want to hit first is just how dishonest it is. By portraying African and Middle Eastern church fathers as anything other than that, it's a hundred percent sinful because it's a lie. It's simply telling a lie. And as I was doing research for this episode, as I read that book, The Whitewashing of Christianity, here's a list of people 
we just read as white because we weren't taught different. Yep. Um, the Cushites, they're mentioned 54 times in the Old Testament. They were black Africans from around the Nile River region. And I don't know if that's how you say that, but I was taught by my former senior pastor that when it comes to Old Testament names, just say it with confidence because no one else knows for sure either. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving forward. Okay. Um, Moses, he wasn't the white old guy with a white beard. He right. was mistaken for an Egyptian in Exodus 2.19. Yep. And Egypt is still often considered separate from Africa today to justify that whitewashing, but they are brown skinned. They are not what we are if we are from European descent. Another one's David. He came from Rahab, who was a Canaanite, and Ruth, a Moabite. So that means that he had Jewish and Hamitic ancestry. So all those paintings from the Enlightenment era that were David with European aspects, naked, sitting there, pondering something. Yep. Those are historically and factually incorrect. Right. Another one is Simeon in Acts 13. He was African. He was one of the original prophets and teachers in the early church. And many people believe he was from Cyrene, which is modern day Libya. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Cyrene, John Mark, who wrote Mark, he was from Cyrene. So he was from Africa and we just automatically assume he was a white guy. Sure. But not only is it dishonest, it's also destructive. And yeah, I think this it, is where you want to land because this is more like your core that you speak to, but the whitewashing of Christianity has directly led to American slavery and the disparagement of black people. Yeah. So that that's the thing when we're talking about this season, specifically political issues is that whitewashing of Christianity, um, you know, just to hit a couple of, of highlights, we're using things like the fallacy of the curse of ham or the mark of Cain. If you go back and it's, it's used to justify saying that, People of color today, specifically black people, as it's been used in the in your know, white evangelical circles, has been used um, as a theological position pushed by guys like John MacArthur to say that black Africans are cursed by God and therefore they're beneath white people. It also happens in um, in the Mormon church as well. I mean, it was very like they only recently started to remove some of that you know, problematic theology and positioning over the differences between black people and, and white people. And so if you can, you can just go through history and see that this whitewashing has been destructive, not only for the slave trade, but also in our imperialistic background as Americans going through uh, manifest destiny. And we said, you know, it, we are blessed by God as white people to take over the lands that are inhabited by the literally savage indigenous people. They called them savages. The Catholics through Spain did that coming through the South, as well as the prospectors coming from the East that would, you know, say we need to subjugate, we need to convert, we need to, you know, turn over this land and claim it uh, for the cross. And how destructive is that because of this whitewashing? We need to sweep over almost like locusts taking over crops. And it's just so dangerous. And that has not left our theology today. There are still echoes of it. There are still places where we say and do and believe those things to this day. Imagine how different the history of the world would be if we acknowledged the importance and the prominence of the African church from day one, if this whitewashing never would have happened, 
imagine how different the world would have been if the African church was allowed to lead the last 1500 years, the way they did the first 500. Yep. We all would have been so much healthier for it. There wouldn't have been so much of the, the sin, the systemic sin that has happened around the world, whether it's slave trade, whether it's apartheid, whether it is all sorts of other things. You can look at the crusades, all those things, those things would not have happened if the African and Middle Eastern church were not whitewashed by white Europeans in the 500 to 1,000 CE range. And let's just say this, at the very least, we would not accept that religion or that Jesus was the reason why we justified doing these things. So sure, evil people are going to do evil things and bad people are going to do bad because we've things. We've seen it from other religions too. We've seen yeah, it from they're going to find Muslims ways to and Hindus and those and that. So it's going to happen. But the but the marriage between church and racism um, would not, I believe, and I, I think we're both in agreement here. I believe would not be as uh, as married together. I mean, I think about back to you know going back to politics. If you go back to what twenty fifteen, maybe I don't know, maybe before that, this whole movement for the GOP to go into the MAGA movement and Trump started because a white man. Uh, doubted the legitimacy of our first black president. And for the most part, white evangelical preachers said nothing. And whether white evangelical preachers and pastors and Christians um, actively supported this type of, you know, overt racism or tacitly accepted it and said, you know what? Um, I don't support that, but, I support a person either way. Like that mentality was not struck down as the evil that it is and was the same way as this other whitewashing throughout history has been kind of like tacitly accepted and said, okay, you know what? Oof, that was awkward, but we're not going to say anything about it. Hey everyone, before we get into the back half of this episode, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new podcast launching Monday, November 7th called Unlearning Church Staff. One of the biggest groups leaving Christianity is made up of former church staff, whether paid or volunteer. In this new show, I'll be interviewing different people each week and talking to them about how they left church staff without leaving their faith. A preview episode is already out wherever you get podcasts. Once this episode is over, go subscribe to that new show so you get the first episode when it comes out on November 7th. That's Unlearning Church Staff coming out Monday, November 7th. That's it for me. Now we'll get back to this week's episode. So we could focus on the bad for a while, obviously. And we have. But we do want to find the good. We want to see if there was any good intention underlying this bad approach. And I'm going to be straight up honest. There's nothing good about whitewashing Christianity. Not one bit. Let's just say it. There's nothing good about racism. Okay, Correct. we'll just say nothing good about racism. We'll go on. I hate that we have to clarify that, but yes, right. let's clarify there's nothing good with racism. Nothing good about racism, but I think what we're talking about these two these two factors of uh I don't know, approaches to racism or two factors that that cause this racism. Yeah, the whitewashing um 
There is nothing good about that. That is about, you know, I feel like I'm beating a drum here that it is about power. It is about keeping power and it is about pushing people down and try to keep what we have. And so we are, uh, we are going back in revisionist history to try and keep that power. But I agree there, there are well-meaning people who use colorblindness uh, for a good intention. I agree with that. And I think the good intention with that, the good intention behind colorblindness is that we were all created in the image of God and we are all equal in sight to him. Mm-hmm. So that's how things will be when we get to heaven, when sin doesn't exist anymore. The ground so, is level at the foot of the cross, Jonathan. The ground is level. <laughs> there may be a hill, but that ground is level. But unfortunately, there is still sin in the world. Yes. And things have happened, and we are not in our new bodies in heaven yet. We are not. I don't know what that's going to look like. So saying you don't see color in the world we live in today, like we said earlier, denies the, the humanity of people of color. Right. And, and again, we are acknowledging, okay, so I, I liken it to when black lives matter first started as a saying, you know, we, you would have people that would say black not the lives organization matter. that has problems, not the, the organization black lives matter. Think, go back to the very beginning when someone would just, you know, that was the slogan is black lives matter. And then right away, there was this colorblindness where people would say, well, all lives matter. And yes, in theory, yes, of course, all lives black matter. Black lives matter too. Yes, it's black lives matter too. Or in this case, in this instance, in this con- conversation right now, we need to emphasize and remind people that black lives matter. And so it's this it's the same type of of thought that when your 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 well-meaning grandmother or aunt or uncle or, you know, I guess white evangelical church, white friend would say, well, all, I believe all lives matter. I believe it too. But specifically right now, we need to acknowledge the uniqueness of one particular group and that's okay. Correct. Okay. So where do we go from here? How do we approach life and culture and faith knowing all of these things? How does that change us moving forward? And this is probably where I would admit, you know, similar to our conversations about purity culture, (laughs) we brought up purity culture (laughs) in the middle of a racism episode. Okay, we can do it anywhere. But similar to our conversations on purity culture, because I because I am a middle aged white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Christian, uh, I feel it is very tough for me to talk with with authority over how we can move on from here. However, I can speak to other white men and say, here's, here's what I want to do. So I want to start with that because it is difficult from our position to say, oh, yeah, here's what we need to do when it comes to that. But I, I think there is a. You but know, it is important for white people to speak to white people to bring awareness to this and so that we can change things moving forward. Exactly. And I, and I think this is a tension. And our, our main problem in many of the things we talk about, but specifically with racism, is we are not, we are not comfortable as white people, as people in general, but white males we can, and white females to live in that tension. Because as soon as the issue of race comes up, we want to jump to defend something as opposed to saying it's okay because we feel guilty about 
maybe what happened and we don't want to acknowledge what our white ancestors did, but we are responsible for a, for making a better world moving forward. So you don't necessarily there. None of you listening to this had anything to do with the slave trade, had right. anything to do with the crusades, had anything to do with the whitewashing of Christianity. So you don't have to feel guilty for any of that. You don't have to feel guilty for what your ancestors did. Historically. But for, historically. historically. But moving yeah. forward, mm-hmm. we do have a responsibility to make it better now knowing what we know and how things have been done in the past. Or when we're hearing people that want to, to use their colorblind uh, type of terminology or colorblind intentions, you can lovingly say, hey, I appreciate the sentiment there. However, I would prefer to say it's okay to you know acknowledge and celebrate the differences that we have, and that doesn't make a, that that that's not causing a problem here. So stepping in and you know using another word that's probably going to trigger some people, but being an advocate for those groups is important. And I'm going to nerd out with some stats here because that makes my helps my brain make sense of things. So most of us come from conservative backgrounds, conservative evangelical backgrounds. And many of us still are conservative evangelicals, even if that title has shifted. Mm -hmm. But most of us have conservative beliefs theologically, and we are evangelical in our thought process in terms of the Bible. But in 2015, so remember, this is from before the current MAGA shift of conservative evangelicalism, what it is today. It's before the current crop of Christian nationalism. But even back then, conservative evangelicals were four times more likely to believe racism is a problem of the past, not the present, than those of no faith. And conservative evangelicals were twice as likely to believe that than the average adult. Mm -hmm. White evangelicals are 28% less likely to say people of color are often put at a social disadvantage than black people in general. Yep. White people are half as likely to believe churches are part of the problem when it comes to racism than black people. Meanwhile, 94% of evangelicals surveyed believe Christian churches play an important role in racial reconciliation. So when all these stats were taken by Barna, their VP of research concluded it by saying this. Our research confirms the fear that the church or the people in it may be part of the problem in the hard work of racial reconciliation. If you're a white evangelical Republican, you are less likely to think race is a problem, but more likely to think you are a victim of reverse racism. Mm -hmm. You are also less convinced that people of color are socially disadvantaged. Yet these same groups believe the church plays an important role in reconciliation. This dilemma demonstrates that those supposedly most equipped for reconciliation do not see the need for it more than any other segment of the population white evangelical Christians demonstrate a blindness to the struggle of their African-American brothers and sisters. And so where do we go from here? We have to acknowledge the things that are wrong that we've been talking about, that they're actually wrong. Yes. With that said, here's the tension we got to live in. Because remember, it's the pendulum. We can't swing all the way to the other side. A 2017 survey from Pew Research shows that 32% of white Democrats 
believe in God as described in the Bible. Only one third of white Democrats described that they believe as God described in the Bible. We can't go from the white evangelical denying of racial issues to the white liberal denying of the God of the Bible. Because on one side, we have white conservatives who refuse to acknowledge that anything racial justice, and they they label it all as woke. But on the other side, you have white progressives who are completely out of touch with the faith and Christianity portion of what motivates most black people for social justice. The, those, that same Pew research showed that it was something like 63% of non-white Democrats believe in God as described in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So we have to stand in the gap between the white conservatives who don't acknowledge racism and the white liberals who don't acknowledge God. And here's the thing before we get to that, that next part is I think acknowledging why, what would be the background of that 32% of white Democrats believe in God is like what, think about whether it's deconstruction or the ex-evangelical movement or anything else like that. Why are people swinging that pendulum to the other side? And in the conversations that I've had and the things anecdotally that I've seen, it's because they don't see a path forward through the church to racial reconciliation. And that is what breaks my heart is that churches for the most part, white churches, white evangelical churches have done a bad job of showing a path forward for racial reconciliation, for truth, justice, equity, and we have we have not shown that the path goes through the church. And so rather than these people thinking that there's a way to fix this through the church, they've decided to leave the church and leave God altogether. And that's what's disappointing to me is because we have not shown them the path. We have not said that we are willing to walk that path as a white evangelical church. Because true justice and true equity can only be found in who God is and what his character is. So we can't we can't do this racial reconciliation thing if it's not actually rooted in the gospel. And if it's rooted in the gospel, we need to be as vigilant against the sin of racism as we are sexual sins. Oh, preach. Think about how much we talk <laughs> about sexual sins while completely ignoring racism and the sin of racism. And that brings me to the spectrum of racial issues that I talked about in the beginning of the episode. Uh, This came from uh, Jerome Gay's book that he said that there are four main types of racial issues. And we see these within the church every day. And Eric, I want to get your reaction to these because I want to see where you've seen them because I mean, I'm a white dude in the South. I've seen these every day, but the first one is racial ignorance. Many white evangelicals live in areas where they simply don't come in contact with people of color on a regular basis. The town that I live in now and I grew up here, it's 92% black or 92% white. And there were only 11 black kids in my entire high school of 1100. My principal can name all 11 of them. (laughs) So the idea of systemic racial issues was absolutely foreign to me until I got out of this town and was exposed to people who didn't look like me or didn't have my background. So that racial ignorance, I think is a huge part of this. Yeah. I, um, so my experience was a little different. You know, if you, I was, uh, looking at all of my elementary school, uh, class photos and, you know, being white, blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, I had like super blonde hair. I stuck out in every single one of those photos. I mean, it was like, 
<laughs> I was the white one. You know, there maybe there were there were other. So there white was no kids. racial ignorance on your part because there were other you lived white kids in day. our class. But like every uh, every teacher I had, every I mean, I my fifth grade teacher, uh, her name was Sonia Hunting Horse because she was. Uh, she was a native American, you know, like all of my, all of my teachers were either Hispanic native American had a couple of white teachers, but we did not have a lot of black people in the town, in the city, anywhere else. And so there was, um, a sense that once we moved to Ohio, that's when it was like, oh, that was an acknowledgement. I'd only see, honestly, I'd only seen black people on TV. You know what I mean? Like I'd only seen them on TV and that was, that was different for me. And once we are educated ourselves like an episode like this is trying to do. It's our job to educate those around us. And the key here moving forward is to educate people with the spirit of love, kindness, patience, all those fruit of the spirit. Because as we listen to this, my guess is you're in your 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s. And it's taken you some time to unlearn some of the stuff that you were taught. And you're still relatively young. So it's going to take the people in their 50s and 60s and 70s a lot longer to unlearn these things and to see the impact of them than it does us because they have more to unlearn. So we have to be patient with the people that we're speaking to and do it in a spirit of love. Mm -hmm. Next, the, the next piece of the spectrum is racial indifference. These people know their issues and they simply don't care. It's the people who still push colorblindness. They would fall into this camp. They push the idea of you live your life. I'll live mine. And if it doesn't affect them, they don't care. And in my mind, when we talk with people like this, we have to focus on how we are to love others as we love ourselves. And that means that those people should be concerned with providing the same resources to people who look different than us. And that gets us into policy a little bit, mm -hmm. but the idea of racial indifference is not a good way to love your neighbor. And it feels like that is a natural outpouring of racial ignorance um, because, yes. you know, that would be, if you are, if you live in rural, rural America, rural white America, and you never have to interact with someone of a different cultural background, you have that racial ignorance, number one. And then number two, you have indifference because you go, yeah, you know what I mean? Like none of these, none of these racial situations are affecting me or affecting any of my friends or affecting anybody that I care about in my circle. But if you live in an urban environment or you live in a, you know, in a majority minority state or situation, you probably have friends, relatives, other things like this, that the injustice is a problem. So the injustice is a problem for them. And so the idea of being indifferent to that injustice won't fly because you know and care about somebody in that situation. I'll give a personal story with this one. The town, the city closest to me is about 20 to 25 minutes away. And there is a main highway you take from my town down there. And again, my town was 92% white. I did not know. I was ignorant to the fact that the way that highway was originally constructed was constructed to split the city in half so that the black and minority poor people were on the east side of town and the more wealthy people were on the west side of town. And then there was another highway that split it into north and south quadrants. And so that northeast quadrant is the poorest of the city. The southeast is second and the northwest and southwest are the more affluent areas of the town. I was ignorant to that. Mm -hmm. So growing up, 
I was indifferent to the people in the Eastern part of the town. It was just, Hey, you don't go to East Winston. Yeah. You don't go over there because like, I remember I was working for the YMCA and we took a, a staff thing that had to go through East Winston. Everybody joked that you should lay down in the bus seats going through East Winston because of the area. And I laughed at it because I was an 18 year old kid at the time. And I was completely ignorant to the idea that systemically this highway was meant to cut those people off. Yep. So my indifference came from my ignorance, like you were saying. Yeah. In a lot of towns, it was don't cross the tracks. Yes. And the idea was if you, uh, and I, I saw a fascinating YouTube uh, video on this that actually studied where a lot of the racial segregation happens amongst either railroad tracks, roads, like you're saying, bridges, rivers. And it happened because you would build factories on one side of the river and whatever way the wind blew the smog pollution, whatever, that would be where you would restrict racial minorities to. And so how come you have a certain side of the tracks or a certain side of the river that's bad, or, you know, considered, quote unquote, the bad side, this is where it comes from. And even, I mean, you could speak to this being in rural America. There are sundown towns or sunset we towns were one. or we were one. whatever. Huh? I'm sorry. There was, a, there was a sign that was attached to the welcome to my town sign up until yeah. the 70s that said inward better not get caught here after dark. Yep. That's just what my town's known for. Take that, take that racial ignorance and indifference, and then you're going to weaponize it by saying, not only am I indifferent to this, but I want to keep my current situation the way it is. And so that means blocking the others out. Build the road, build the railroad. We're over here on this side of the river. We're going to have a curfew for people who are not white. And so you can see how these things start to uh, you know, become a waterfall domino effect from one to the other. Which leads us into the third type, which is racial insens insensitivity, which says that this group doesn't care what they say or do if it hurts someone else because it's their right to do what they want mm -hmm. to better their life. It's that right. hyper individualistic. What, what happens to you isn't my problem. It's just right. I'm going to be all about me. Sometimes you'll get someone who is racially ignorant, who does racially insensitive things, and you can talk to those people and have discussions with them. But unfortunately, a lot of the people who are racially insensitive, the ones who are going around with the Confederate flag in the back of their car or um, oh, it's their truck, not their car. But <laughs> again, I see that on an every, I pass, yeah. I think five Confederate flags on my way to take my kids to daycare in the morning. I think I saw this on Twitter as wild where he said uh, this image of the, of, of, you know, redneck racism in the South is wild where you have a lifted truck with the Confederate flag, but they're bumping to, uh, you know, some sort of gangster rap. And they have uh, Air Jordans and and all these other things on. That's like such an urban black culture thing as well. And it's so weird that that happens. And here's yeah. what it looks like policy wise, though, too, because I love what you said about that, where it's like when it's a white Christian making claims on others to try and say, well, we need to change this. We need to whitewash this. It's justified as like solidarity, as unity, as we need to, you know, bring everybody together. And so we kind of take over. But when a racial minority says, hey, this is wrong and makes a claim on a white Christian, they're refused. And, they're being divisive. And the, the justification is you're being divisive and I have my individual rights and what your situation, that's a personal responsibility problem. And we separate it out and we start to say as a church, you know what? 
race racism is a heart issue you cannot you cannot legislate people's hearts and it's like but we don't agree with that when it comes to gun violence or abortion or anything else like that but when it comes to racism you cannot legislate morality and it's never a social society or a systemic issue it's always a personal responsibility individual right problem in fact uh i, I saw somebody quoted this as it's called colorblind libertarianism it's people who are in the personal accountability camp. And what that does is that says, hey, you know what? I can be racially insensitive because of my freedoms. I'm going to stand behind my freedom to keep uh, to keep the, the racial reconciliation out. It's their right to do what they want. That's right. So when it comes to those things, when people are being racially insensitive, unfortunately, most people who do that, who call themselves Christians or cultural Christians at best. Yeah. But when you get the opportunity, if you're in a relationship with someone who does that, it is your job to call them out on that sin. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things moving forward that we have to do. We can't just let things slide because that's crazy. Uncle Timmy, we've yep. got to be able to speak into those things because if we don't, that's what leads to outright racism, mm -hmm. which is the willful hatred of people because of their skin color. And again, it's important we define terms here because racism, the title has been weaponized. Yes. It's been used as an umbrella term for the other three racial insensitivity, indifference, yes. and ignorance. And I would say, let's point this out racial ignorance, indifference, and insensitivity are all still wrong. That Correct. There's a spectrum of how wrong they are. They may be under the umbrella of racism as a concept. But like for someone who just doesn't know, that's not willful it. hatred. Yeah, it's not willful hatred racism. So to define our words, hate is defined as the extreme aversion for or extreme hostility towards. It's the intense dislike or object of extreme hostility or aversion. And most Christians have raised the bar for racism so high that they don't realize when we're being racist. Yes. Again, like I mentioned earlier, secular progressives had lowered the bar to racism so that anything in the previous three categories is racism as well. But okay, so here's one, how it plays ahead. out. And this is, you know, this is a situation close to me that I know that got an individual who's, uh, you know, in her 20s and she brings home. She's white. She brings home uh, her boyfriend for the first time. And guess what? He's black. And you know what the text messages are from the family. They are all concerned about this relationship because they have it now they would say they're not hateful oh we don't hate we don't you know we're not racist we don't hate but if you have an extreme aversion or an intense dislike for her boyfriend because of what not because of the relation because he's black that would be considered an aversion dislike hostility like that's racism that needs to be called out so and if you're saying something um, if you're saying around. something well-meaning and you're like, well, you know what? I just wish that she, this is what I heard. I just wish that she would find a nice, a nice, you know, Christian boy or a nice, you know, insert adjective to deflect away from race. And that's, that needs to be called out. And that's so, what we have to do. So to flip that same situation, the difference, the opposite, the antonym of extreme hate or prejudice is favoritism. Mm -hmm. um, if we actually look up, I did this, I went to the source and synonyms for favoritism are discrimination, unfairness, and inequity. Yeah. And so 
don't think of it as much as willful hatred, but are you showing favoritism towards one group over the other? My sister growing up dated a black guy for a while and will disregard the fact that my grandpa used the Bible to justify that she shouldn't do that because that's a different conversation. Let me guess unequally yoked. No, it was tribes. Tribes, Tribes shouldn't go between each other. Got it. Okay. So that that's, I mean, that's a man that was born in the forties and what he was taught. Mm-hmm. So I mean, again, I can, I don't, it wasn't right what he did, but I understand the culture in which he was raised in and how that led to that. But one of the things that was said to her was that they wish you would just find a good Christian boy, like you said, <laughs> or a good white boy. And right. so it was, it was favoritism because the justification was, well, they just come from two different cultures mm-hmm. and Blah, 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 blah. And you can, you, you've probably heard this. Anyone listening to this probably has their own story that, but that was the sin of favoritism. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that favoritism goes against biblical teaching. There's go back specific- to the word, right? You said extreme aversion or dislike. So keep that going. Keep what they said going. You know what? They just come from two different cultures. Okay. Play that out. Why is, uh, remember what, you know, we go back to a couple of seasons ago. I asked those five whys. Let's ask why. Why is that a problem? Well, you know, I, I don't know. They, they just won't, wouldn't see eye to eye on some things. It's like, well, why is that a problem? Well, you know, what, what happens when our families get together? Why is that a problem? You know, why is that a problem? Oh, you have an aversion or a dislike of that difference in cultural, uh, you know, it could be a straight up aversion to it, or I just like my version so much better and I'm not willing to change. Correct. Yep. So. This episode has been insanely long and we want to come to a close here and I want to leave with a question and an encouragement. Mm -hmm. So the question, as you've heard this episode, if you've made it this far, are you naturally wanting to respond by getting super technical and parsing all the words and ideas we've tossed out? If so, that should cause you a pause and Mm -hmm. the five whys come into play here. Why are you, naturally coming to an aversion for these ideas. I had a guy on TikTok the other day. I made a response to the Lieutenant governor of Texas saying that the constitution was inspired by God. And I said that God who made everyone equally in his image would not write a constitution that says black people are not equal to white people because of the three fifths compromise with slaves and all that. And a white well-meaning guy came back and wanted to clarify that it was about slaves, not black people. It never says that in the constitution. As if not all slaves were black people at the time. He knew they were black people. He just wanted right. to clarify. He said it's because he didn't want people to mistake what I said. If someone's mistaking what I said there, they have an aversion or yes. dislike of what I'm trying to say. They have a they have a presupposition going into it. So mm-hmm. We have to ask ourselves, why are we trying to parse every single word and find a gotcha moment instead of looking at the bigger idea of these things and saying, you know what? Color blindness and whitewashing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Why are we, why are we parsing the words? Right. And then my encouragement to you is that it's okay to admit you were once wrong. That is a sign of strength, not weakness. I'll admit right here, I was incredibly wrong on many of these issues, and I'm still having to educate myself in places. We are unlearning these things we were taught together, and it's a process so that we can raise the next generation even better than we were raised. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, if you're getting super technical, if you want to start splitting hairs, or the even the other piece I would say that goes along with it is if you're outright denying, deflecting, or you want to demonize, deny, deflect, demonize what we're doing. That's three Ds. That could be a, a sermon, three-part sermon series. Um, if you're if you're trying to do that stuff, and just by saying, "Hey, these two are leftist, progressive, woke," right? Like as soon as you start throwing out those blanket terminologies that's another time to cause you to pause. So for some of you who are bringing your rational brains to it and you're going to you're going to parse it out, I understand intellectually at least you're partially there. For others of you that are just straight up going to say leftist, progressive, those people turned it off 30 minutes ago. Right, exactly. But <laughs> as you're that that's another encouragement that as you are talking to the people in your lives who want to do those things, that should cause you pause. Why are they doing that? Why is it why is it so important for them to defend, to deflect, to demonize what's going on? And I agree, it's okay to admit you're wrong. And let's call out racial ignorance, racial indifference, racial insensitivity, and blatant racism. They're all wrong. And now they're that we know sinful. better, they're all sinful. And now that we know better, we have to do better. And with that, I want to say thank you for hanging out with us longer than normal. Uh, we told you some of these episodes would go long. And next week's going to be just as long, probably, because next week we are talking about abortion. And most of us were taught Christians had always believed abortion in any form was evil and that life absolutely begins at conception. Some were even taught that you couldn't be a Christian if you voted for candidates who were not 100% against abortion. So we'll dive into some of the history of the abortion topic and talk about the liberty that Christians have when it comes to such a sensitive and highly, highly emotional topic. So for now, go ahead and subscribe and rate the show, rate it, review us, share it with a friend if it helped you, if you learned something today, if you found it interesting. If you have any feedback or questions, you can get in touch with us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Eric is at Eric W712 on all major platforms. And I am jo at Jonathan underscore Corone on them as well. As always, thank you for making us a part of your day. And we'll talk to you again next week.